I'm ready for it. Oh, my word. The music that plays while I'm waiting almost uh-huh. put me to sleep. Yeah, because I left you waiting for like 25 minutes. I was like dozing off. Sorry about that. I have no. a little that's very interested in our story today, but I said, uh, no, no. Uh, and he said, well, I'm a historian. I said, no, no. <laughs> he really is a historian. Yeah. He is, okay. for sure. All right, Brody. I be good. Be good. He'll explore his own possibilities, he says. Very nice. Yeah. Good job. Kate. So, theme song for today, 80s pop. Oh. Wicked yes. history. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> wicked history. It's so very wicked. <laughs> <laughs> we have problems. Don't turn us off. (laughs) All right. The disappearance of Michael Rockefeller is what we're talking about today. All right. Goodbye. Just joking. (laughs) So I don't know when or how I learned this, but for as long as I can remember, I remember knowing that there were cannibals in Papua New Guinea. Okay. Like, it's just kind of one of those facts. Like, it was one of those things that scared me the way quicksand did. Like, this would be a bigger problem than it really ended up being. Because, <laughs> yeah. But same, I remember same, thinking, same, same. like, I'm, I felt like somehow I'm going to end up in Papua New Guinea around the alive. <laughs> yes. Like, so I, it's going to happen. I don't remember how or what the story was that I heard. But I just know that I've known this information for a very long time. Same. Same. Exactly. Like, I don't know how, but I'm going to tell you how you remember this today. Okay. I think everybody's does it, got does this it have, little... Does it have to do with Mr. Rockefeller? Possibly. Oh. Possibly. Yeah, so... like, I Oh just my remember... God, did, did he get eaten alive by, by cannibals? We will discuss that today. Did you just clap? No, I actually did my papers on the desk. Like, I was real matter-of-fact. Like, yes. Okay, we're going to talk about it today. I have the facts. So, as a kid, I just remember being, like, super terrified by the fact that there were people out there that ate other people. And my head always went to this one location, Papua New Guinea. So... Like, I, I don't know why I thought I would easily become a victim to this, but it was just kind of always like, like <laughs> same, the same. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't put much thought into how or where I learned this until a few days ago when um, I was researching this mystery that finally was solved many decades later. Oh, really? When so was it solved? In 2014. Okay. So Pretty the Rockefeller, recently. let's talk about the Rockefellers first. The Rockefeller family has been like American royalty for over a century. John D. Rockefeller founded the Standard Oil Company in 1870 with a man named Henry Flagler. Now, we've heard the name Rockefeller lots. I mean, there's Rockefeller Center. You know, it's just one of those names that we know. You don't really hear much about Flagler, but anyway. You hear nothing about Flagler. Right. It was the largest oil refinery in the world at its height. Rockefeller ran the company as its chairman. Can I tell you something? What? 
I didn't even know that's how the Rockefellers became famous. Yeah, they were very wealthy in the oil industry. I didn't know it had anything to do with oil. Okay, so proceed. John, John D. Rockefeller retires in 1897 and remains the major shareholder until 1911 when the Standard Oil Company is dissolved into 34 smaller companies. You may know names like Chevron, ExxonMobil, Amico, Marathon, Petroleum. Those all came from Standard Oil. So you can imagine these people are pretty big. Huge. Yes. And on May 18th of 1938, we have Michael Clark Rockefeller born, grandson to John D. Rockefeller, and the fifth child to New York governor and future U.S. Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. Big deal. He is a big deal, this kid. Michael is born into this very powerful family and expectations of his career in politics seem imminent, but Michael was kind of more into photography and art as a passion. He really didn't like politics and he didn't like going into politics. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, he did go, he went to Harvard and he graduates with honors with a BA in history and economics. So, I mean, he does have the, the economics in his degree but he decides to enlist in the U.S. Army. And then he's chosen to go on an expedition for Harvard's Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Ethnology to study and document a tribe known as the Danny tribe located in western Dutch New Guinea. Ooh, okay. He cannot let this opportunity slip by. Heck no. It's right up his alley. (laughs) Excuse me. So this expedition was to film a documentary called Dead Birds, to which Rockefeller would be the sound recordist. Okay. His, his family was very uneasy about this, but Michael was so passionate about going, they relented. While on the site, Michael and a, a friend briefly left the expedition to study the Azmat tribe of southern Dutch New Guinea. So that's Michael's first taste into this Azmat tribe. While he's there filming this this move this documentary called him Dead and a friend Birds. yeah him and his friend kind of explore on their own and meet this Asmat tribe in the southern parts of Dutch New Guinea. So the, I mean it just like that that little encounter lit this fire in him. He knew he was passionate about learning more about these Asmat people. So the expedition is a full success. And left this huge impression on Michael. He knew he had to return in hopes of bringing back some of the tribal art that he saw. Because the Rockefellers had founded, and I'm sure it wouldn't be named this today, but at the time it was called the Museum of Primitive Art. And Michael had this drive to like go back to the Asmat people, collect some of their art, and then bring it back to be on display in New York. Very cool. Yeah, he's quoted as saying, it's the desire to do something adventurous at a time when frontiers in the real sense of the word are disappearing. So there was something about, you know, how how primitive, I hate to use the word primitive, but there was something so pure about these people because... Can I, t- I don't know what the, what the problem is with primitive. I, it... 
it can be culturally inappropriate, I suppose. Okay. Um, you know, these Excuse people, no, these people, um, you know, they, they were pretty much, they'd never seen anybody outside of their tribe before. Um, so when Michael and stuff came, this was all new to them as well. And there was something exciting about that for Michael because he's coming from the modern world where there's all this technology and then going all the way back to basics. And it was just beautiful to him. And I, so, I get that. So that's what primitive means to me is just like back to basics, like no technology and stuff like that. When something is described as primitive. Well, you don't want it to come off as arrogant or ignorant, you know, uh, like because they're primitive, they're ignorant. But Right. Okay. <clears throat> so he Cause, spent, de- cause definitely not. No, Exactly. He spent his time in the in Dutch New Guinea actively engaged with the culture and art while recording ethnographic data. In one of his letters home, he wrote this. I'm having a thoroughly exhausting but most exciting time here. The Azmat is like a huge puzzle with the variations in ceremony and art style forming the pieces My trips are enabling me to comprehend, if only in a superficial, rudimentary manner, the nature of this puzzle. So you can just tell he's, like, absolutely in love with the... Right. So where does it all go wrong for Michael? When Michael returned for his art expedition, he found the Azmat tribe unwilling to allow them... Mm -hmm to take their art off the island for religious purposes. However, they they did continue to embrace and welcome him, allowing him to photograph their art and culture. So in all, it was a successful trip. While he did not collect anything to bring home, he was enamored with the people of New Guinea. He, you know, was able to, he, they allowed him to photograph their ceremonies and their art, they just didn't want him to remove it from the island because it was just against their religious nature. It was, yeah, it was spiritual to them. Right. So on November 17th, 1961, Rockefeller and a Dutch anthropologist named Rene Wassing were in a 40-foot canoe, kind of like a catamaran. And they were about three nautical miles from shore. So they were leaving the island to go meet up with their big boat and then they would be flying back to the United States. So the canoe is hit by this rogue wave and it was flip, <clears throat> flipped over. Uh oh. So they are drifting in waters for two days when Michael finally made the decision that he's going to try to swim back to shore. But at this point, they're roughly 14 miles from shore. Wow. But he would, like, they had waited for two days for someone to come rescue them. And it just didn't seem like it was coming. So he ties cans to his waist. He bids Wassing goodbye, saying he will bring him help. And off he goes. The sad part of this is mm. Wassing is eventually rescued. <gasps> about, no. about 12 hours after Michael leaves, uh, rescue boat does come so then they go looking for michael and they don't find him anywhere so this is not necessarily surprising as this water is infested with sharks and saltwater crocodiles oh my god the worst not to, death ever right not to mention he was 
15 miles with no food and water for two days. He could have easily tired and drowned. It's very possible. But you still feel like you would find some sort of trace of him. And after an extensive search, I mean, we're talking two years of searching, they find nothing, and they finally declare Michael legally dead in 1964. Can I tell you something? What? I would die on top of that catamaran before I'd swim in shark-infested and saltwater crocodile-infested water. Exactly. The official record... What a a tough dude to be like, I'm doing it. 14 miles. Yeah, exactly. And after you know, going two days without food and water. So he's already exhausted. Yeah. yeah. That's why the records show his cause of death is drowning. You know, that's kind of what the official record is. And it, the books are closed on Michael. And that would have been the end of it. But the Rockefeller family, especially the mom was like, Oh hell no. I need to know. I need to know what happened. I want that crocodile. Yeah. Did drowning or being attacked by a shark or a crocodile sound plausible to her? Of course it did. But still something should have been found. And years of searching never led to anything. Except for rumors. And those rumors about Dutch New Guinea. Dutch New Guinea at the time was in this really awkward time. And we're going to talk about that. But the Dutch tried without success to break the asthmat people of some of their old traditions. Um, But because there was these rumors that, you know, these people were super primitive. The mom was like, I I need to know what happened to him. I keep hearing these rumors of awful stuff. So she offers this like $250,000 reward and it is endless. So it will never expire. She is just that convinced that there's got to be something of her son out there. All right. So the Asmat people saw this white, saw these white men coming to their land as some sort of like spirit. You know, they had never seen um, white people, white men before. So when the Dutch came in, this was like, it was just an odd time for them because they thought these men were spirits, you know, when they first saw them. So we're talking like that remote. These people are just that remote from the rest of the world. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Under the Asmat umbrella. So I'm just going to talk about the Asmat ancient traditions and stuff here for a minute. So it kind of makes sense. Like the, the time when Michael went missing. So the Asmat people seeing all these white men coming onto their land as spirits, there's like under the Asmat umbrella, there's several tribes and these tribes believe in like an eye for an eye governance. Okay. Okay. So when these Dutch men began trying to claim their land, it was then learned these tribes also practice cannibalism. Oh, Yeah, and the Dutch, not wanting the Americans to pry too hard into New Guinea, started becoming less willing to help locate Michael's remains, which led some to believe Michael had met his end after hitting the shore and was eaten by the Asmats. In fact, the Dutch had sealed files on Michael's disappearance, which did not sit well with the Rockefeller family. Tell me this, tell me this. They they said that, oh, maybe he was eaten after he swam to the shore. 
Yes. See, from that's his what... boat being wrecked. But hadn't he been spending time with the Azmats? And he had. He had. So the Azmats make, there's a, a bunch of tribes that make up the Azmat um, people. And the mom starts hearing rumors that these Azmat tribes practice cannibalism. So she's like, you know, I, I have to know what's happened to my son. So she keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, but the Dutch are like, they're not telling her anything. They have a file on his missing person, but they've sealed it and they won't let anybody have it. Wow. And to understand why the Netherlands would do this, we have to touch on the political scene at the time. So in 1962, in the peak of the search for Michael, Indonesia had claimed half of New Guinea the UN at the time, like they would take these largely lesser developed areas and they would give rule to a more established nation nation to control and like bring them up to speed into modern times. And if someone as well known as the Rockefellers was in fact killed, this would look really bad for the Netherlands and give Indonesia full control. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So, in the middle of this civil dispute, and as the Indonesians are moving in more and more into New Guinea, the most powerful family in the world loses their son in an area pretty well known for cannibalism, and they seal all records related to him going missing as a way to try and make this disappear. Right. So while the Dutch had people on the ground actively looking for Michael, they were also told if you find anything, make it disappear. Make sense? Yes. Okay. And while it was very well known that the natives were in fact eating people, as they had never stopped doing so, the Dutch would say like, no, no, nay, nay. They don't do that anymore because we made it illegal. Like that's going to do any good. Right. So Michael's mother never stop, stops losing hope that maybe her son was alive and held in captivity or, you know, that there's still some hope that he's out there. So she offers that $250 reward that would go on until something was found. So there was not like for the next year or whatever. It's, it's endless. In 1969, a a journalist named Milt Macklin went to the island and he wanted to investigate the disappearance of Michael, primarily to see if Michael may still be alive and held captive. But after meeting with several tribe leaders, he comes to the conclusion that Michael was not alive in captivity and had probably met his end when some sort of scuffle happened between the Azmat and the white soldiers. So, um, being governed by revenge, you know, the, the Azmat people were into eye for an eye. They want, you know, if you killed somebody, then they could kill one of yours, kind of eye for an eye. So Michael may have very well been a casualty of that outcome. Um, Milt believed Michael did not make it. I'm sorry. Milt believed Michael did make it to shore that day in a tribe not familiar <laughs> with him had happened upon him. After trading a boat engine to a tribe leader, Milt was taking, taken into a village and given three skulls. 
he was told one Ooh. of the skulls belonged to Michael Rockefeller. Ooh. So Milt returns to the U.S. and he did claim the $250,000. He was paid <gasps> that amount. But there's no certainty that these skulls were ever given to the Rockefeller family. Like there's no, there's no known like DNA tests that were ever done with these skulls or any, there's no documentation that these skulls were ever compared to Michael. So why not, not though? We're not real sure if the skulls really happened. We just know that Milt came back with enough information that he was able to collect that $250,000. Okay. So in an interview many years later, Milt would say at one point he was taken into a village and spoke to an old man who had on Michael's very recognizable glasses. <laughs> so Michael wore these very distinct glasses and he's talking to this guy and he's like, do you know Michael Rockefeller? And the guy says, no. And he goes, you're wearing his glasses. And he just, he was like, nope. You know, it was just like a, it was very obvious he was wearing his glasses, but the guy just completely, you know, would not admit that he knew of Michael Rockefeller at all. It is not until 2014, okay, when okay. Carl, Carl Hoffman publishes a book that's called Savage Harvest, a tale of mm. cannibals colonialism and Michael Rockefeller's tragic quest for primitive arts. That's a long book title. Yeah, it is. This Short is where, shit. where we finally start to get some answers. So Carl traveled to where Michael is believed to have landed on the shore that fateful day. And they land on shore. Carl's at, as they land on shore, Carl's interpreter hears some villagers say to each other, do not tell the white man about the one we killed. <gasps> okay. So the, so the interpreter goes to Carl and he's like, he tells him what he just heard. And he's like, we maybe need to talk to those guys. Okay. So the interpreter goes up to them and says, who do you mean? And they say, well, the American we killed that y'all have been looking for all these years, Michael Rockefeller. As Carl starts unpeeling the story from them, he finds a pretty he finds that it's pretty common knowledge there over the last 50 years that Michael was killed and eaten. It's like they all know this. You know, this big mystery in the US for what, you know, for the past 50 years what has happened to Michael Rockefeller is just common knowledge to them. They all know. So he's like, "Oh shit, you know, all these people just know. They're like, "Yep, we killed and ate him." So we finally find out like the final story and it's kind of a detailed one. So bear with me here. Okay. We so we this. know the truth. Yes. We know the truth. Okay. So in 1957, before Michael got there, okay, there's this large war going on in New Guinea and a lot of indigenous people have been losing their lives. So the Dutch step in worried about the Indonesians coming in and taking New Guinea from them because they couldn't get this war underhand, you know, under control. So the Dutch sent a large military force to New Guinea to stop this war. The soldiers like march in on all these indigenous people. And when they collide, the soldiers realize they can't actually communicate with the indigenous people. 
And the indigenous people have never seen white people before. So they assume that these are spirits that have just come at them. So the Azmat start pulling out their spears and chanting for these spirits. And the soldiers, like, freak out and start raining gunfire on them. Okay? These people had never seen guns before. And they are scared shitless. Okay? Oh, yeah. So these spirits come and invade their land. And they've got guns and things that, you know, there's this loud noise they've never heard before. So imagine being these tribes and seeing these white men with guns for the first time ever. So of course this stops the Azmat war and the Dutch think like, Hey, we did great. Awesome. When in fact they had opened this can of worms. And of course all this took place on the same small slip of shore where Michael washed up after swimming 14 miles. Mm. So what really happened to Michael On the early hours of November 19th, 1961, two villagers are walking along the shore looking for food and they see something like crawl up on the shore and they first believe like that's got to be a crocodile. You know, they're just, that's what they're used to seeing. Okay. But as they come closer, they see that is in fact Michael Rockefeller. So at first startled by Michael, because if you remember, the white men are spirits that have guns and make people die. But right. soon, soon started talking to each other <clears throat> and they decide, you know what? Let's get revenge for the lost lives from the white soldiers and let's kill this man. They don't know it's Michael Rockefeller. They just know it's another white man. So some stories claim that these men are direct descendants of warriors that lost their lives to the Dutch on that day in, in the 50s. Um, but there's really, I can't, I can't verify that. So they kill him with their spears on the banks of Dutch New Guinea. And they drag Michael's body back to the village. Upon arriving in the village, trigger warning, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, they popped ready. open his, they popped open his head and ate his brain. They then stripped all the flesh off of Michael's body and cooked and ate it. They used his bones in like spears and tools and they used all of his blood because they drained all of his blood. They, they used that in rituals. A few days after this happens, all of a sudden they are bombarded with white people who are looking for the one they killed and they're terrified. Okay. They're like, oh shit, what have we done? You know, now our land is completely infested with these white spirits because we killed one of theirs. So they're freaking out and they, they had only that one interaction with white men prior to really go off of. So they're thinking like, Oh shit, you know, now that we've killed this man, all these people appear out of nowhere. Now they're seeing helicopters and boats and tanks and military galore. And they thought it was the spirits punishing them for killing and eating Michael Rockefeller. Kinda. So, that's, that's why like no remains of his were ever found is because they made it disappear. The, the villagers were like, they swore to secrecy about what happened to him. They made all of the remnants disappear. That's why there was never anything that was found. And even worse, the village is hit with a cholera outbreak right afterwards. <gasps> so oh. they feel like that's even more punishment for what they did. Yeah. 
So with Carl learning all of this, he could never find anyone who was actually there when it happened. Only that it had been this story that had been passed down from when it happened. So none of the villagers were actually there when it happened. It's just a story that they've been passed down. So as Carl oh, was... okay. Yeah, but, so there's not actually 100% proof, but it's this is a story that, you know, it's like teaching their kids history of their village. It's a story that was just very well told. Um, so as Carl was finishing his investigation and is about to leave the island, he overhears someone telling a story to the kids in the village. So Carl and begins to film it, only catching the end of the story where they say, whatever you do, do not tell the white spirits of the white spirit we killed. They will send sickness to our land, disease and death. So you can say like, that made it really official for Carl. He's like, okay, yeah, that's gotta be what happened. Right. So what, <clears throat> yeah. So there are some other theories of what happened to Michael Rockefeller. And this one's actually pretty interesting. Um, and it would be kind of cool if this one was true. So in 20, I'm sorry, in 2008, a documentary film director known as Fraser Heston was doing some work on Michael's disappearance and was going through some old stock footage of the island to kind of clip together for his document, you know, documentary. Um, and he comes across like just tons of film from 1969. A film crew from England had gone to the island and filmed hours of footage. After watching this for 10 hours, he comes across something astounding. And I'm going to post this on our Facebook and on our Instagram in one yes. still, in one still, you can see all these indigenous people, and in between them is a white man dressed just like them in battle gear with a spear, and he looks just like Michael Rockefeller. But he's painted up like one of the warriors. So this would have been eight years after Michael went missing, and this leads some people to believe that Michael was accepted into the tribe that he grew to love. And wished to remain there. And the villagers helped him hide from the search parties. So this still from this movie is pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, it's, it looks like a redheaded man, which Michael was redheaded. And it's very obvious that there's a white man in the mix of all these black, black men that are carrying the spears. So, yeah, there's that one theory out there that, <laughs> that he lived. It's just that he chose not to return. So maybe that's what happened. Mm. It's pretty, it's a compelling picture, but I mean, I think we know what happened to Michael Rockefeller. It's just sad that it took so long to find out because his poor mama right. wanted to know what happened and she died. I'll tell you knowing. what. No. Well, some would say she died never knowing. I say as soon as she died, she found out. Right. She got so, to see him again. So that is the mysterious disappearance of Michael Rockefeller. I dug it. Yeah. I mean, it's not the longest story ever, but it's just fascinating to me because it's like, dang, it was a this... shorty, but it was a goodie. <laughs> <laughs> quality. <laughs> but yeah. Right. It's quality. Quality over quantity. Well, I, right. I was so interested in this story that, you know, I, I, 
I wrote it out in kind of a story format and I just kind of read verbatim what I wrote. And I don't typically do that, but I didn't want to miss anything because usually what I do is I'll write out bullet points and then hit on them. But with this story, I really wanted to get into the nitty gritty of it because it was just so fascinating that it took so long to figure out what happened to Michael Rockefeller. Yeah. And I, I know you probably said it, but who was this Carl person? Carl was just an author. So he was just someone, he was fascinated with the story. So he decided to go to Papua New Guinea and kind of go to where Michael had landed um, and just, just talk to the natives. Cause there's been a lot of people who've gone there looking for him. Um, But those are the people that came the closest to figuring out what happened to him. That Milt man and then Carl. But Carl got, Carl got the, you know, I think it was probably long enough of a time, you know, all the people who were there had now died. Um, So the, the tribe was probably more willing to talk about it. Maybe. I tell you how freaked out I would be to go there. I know. Kind of freaked out. I'm telling you. I knew about, I knew that there were cannibals there. I didn't know how I knew it, but I just knew it. And I, for some reason, as a kid, I really thought cannibals were going to be an issue for me. And I don't as know As well why. as quicksand. Quicksand, yeah. Quicksand is, uh, I don't think I've ever seen quicksand, but I really believed as a kid that those were going to be issues. Same. I panicked walking anywhere. Yeah. Panicked. Yeah. I'm going to get sucked into quicksand or I'm going to end up in Papua New Guinea and I'm going to uh, be eaten. Yeah. Like I just, I just, well, I don't know. And I didn't, I didn't connect it until I came across Michael's story and went, holy shit. That is the story. I remember. It's real. (laughs) That poor man. I mean, he was killed quick, I guess. So there's plus he was killed by the spear. It wasn't like I he wonder was tortured. If my kids... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that we know. Yeah. We, I, I guess we wonder know. if my kids have learned about cannibals, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Because they have, like, it's funny they'll bring up some irrational shit. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. But it's like, I know what it was like to be uber convinced when I was a kiddo. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know where we got these irrational fears, but we all had them. We all, we, yeah, we all had them. I think it's just because when you're a kid, it's it's like impossible to think. I couldn't, you know. Throw, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't find Papua New Guinea on a map without assistance. But I really no. thought I was going to end up there for some reason. I also had well, I should. I don't think my rational fear was ending ending up there. But being in a cannibal just, situation, just in a cannibal situation's gonna happen. Like that movie Alive. Can I tell you something? Plane crash, of course. Stop it! I don't even. Yeah. So we just watched um, Castaway. Mm-hmm. I've never actually seen the whole movie, but here's my point. We watched it, Brody. I'm never flying in a plane again. <laughs> but last year, right? 
Last year it was Delta, 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 Delta. Oh, I know. I love Delta. Airlines, I want a plane. I want a plane. I'm going to fly for the rest of my life. I'm going to I'm gonna fly. I'm going to be a pilot. And now he wants to go to space. However, <laughs> I mean, don't... Pilot, but let's go to space. We're still... Yeah. We're still afraid to go, afraid to go to the bathroom by myself, but I'm not afraid to explode on takeoff. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> or or die in the abyss of 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 space. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love good it. times. We were all that weird, I guess. I love. Yeah, space. we all. We yeah, we were. I see a lot of here his irrational uh, thing uh, fears, and I'm like, yep. That's where I was when I was a kid. Yup. Sleeping <laughs> on your floor until I was 13 years old. Because I couldn't sleep in my own bedroom. Because thinking so about it now, it's like, I'm not sleeping on the floor next to the underneath of a bed. I am more worried about what would come out from underneath of a bed than I am worried about sleeping in a room by myself. That was definitely a fear I had. That's why I never Things laid down coming on out your from underneath bed. the bed. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sleeping on that mattress. <laughs> and I mean, I'm going to admit this. There are some times where my foot is over the edge of the bed and I'm like, nope. And I pull it in. What's going to get it? Do I ya? don't know. But I'm just. I'm like, take me away. I get psych. <laughs> I can psych myself out so easily. Like, oh, I am oh. more. I'm more uncomfortable by feeling the cold air on my foot than I am by thinking of like Freddy Krueger pulling me under. Mm-mm. I don't know what I expect Freddy? to pull me under, but yeah, like it's just one of those fears I've well, always had. Yeah, creeping, creeping f- f- into your foot, up to your brain and your dreams. Now I I watch a lot of true crime, and I have seen many, many, many stories of where people were hiding under someone's bed. So no, I no. don't know if if that psychs me out, but yes. Where someone like drop their phone on the floor and reach down to get it, and they see someone under their bed. Nope. Stop it. Nope. I also watch and listen to. Uh, well, I mostly listen. I don't get to watch shit. Um, I listen to a lot of true crime, and I am more afraid that someone is has a conspiracy to kill me. <laughs> just all the time <laughs> someone or because i am so framed. i am worth so much oh my god being framed uh, that freaks me out being framed yes spending the rest of your life in prison for something that you didn't do mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. like the movie Which, innocent man uh mm-hmm. a great uh wicked history would be kind of going through and touching down on some tales of mm-hmm. um uh, uh, people who have been wrong, wrongfully convicted or framed. Hell that would yeah. be a good one. Heck yeah! Let us we'll know. Let us know if you if you'd like that. Um, yeah, yeah. That is. I mean, yeah. That's our story for today, guys. I hope I you enjoyed it. it. That was good. Sorry, it was so short. I'll draw it out. Let us know if you had an irrational fear of cannibals. We'd like yes! a tally of who actually thought it was a reality as a kid, or are we just that fucked up? <laughs> no way. Like, yes, because, let us know. Because, too, whoever told me about cannibals it made me. it a reality in, in my life <laughs> briefly. Because 
because I, I wasn't that scared of it but um but I, but I was definitely but I, I definitely I, thought about it it's not yeah it's not something like I didn't sleep over but it definitely it 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 lived rent free in my head for way too long no dog no oh my goodness a little whiny um, dog. Yeah, it was definitely no large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure or the <laughs> witch from Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, but oh my it still word, scared me. It's funny. I mean, I think remembering those kinds of things. Oh, large Marge, Marge was she messed me up. Out of she was out of my nightmares. She didn't mess you up as much as me. You weren't sleeping on my floor. I was sleeping on your floor. <laughs> oh my god or the witch i remember being a kid being like if the witch was in my room she would be my friend yes don't freak out tell us about your irrational childhood fears so that we can feel better about ourselves yeah mine was definitely quicksand and cannibals for sure and mine was everything All right. All right. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.